0: Amen. Y'all, welcome to Gospel City Church. How are you doing today? Are you with me? 11 o'clock. You're with me. A couple people, three people are with me. That's awesome. Well, the people online, thanks for joining us if you're worshiping from home today. And uh, I'm excited to dig into God's Word. Hopefully you got your Bible. Did you bring your Bible to church today? Go ahead and grab it and open to 2 Timothy And uh, we're going to be in chapter three. We've made it halfway through this second letter that Paul wrote to young Timothy. And uh, I missed a couple weeks of our series called Fan the Flame, just being out of town. And I went back this week and listened to Pastor Trent's message called, Can You Handle the Truth? And I thought Pastor Trent did a fantastic job at talking about having a standard of truth, the real truth in a post-truth culture. And if you remember, he uh, had Mr. Kevin Abbott up on stage, and Kevin Abbott said he was six foot seven, and Trent said, I'm actually six foot seven. And when they got the standard of measurement out, the tape measure, Kevin Abbott indeed was six foot seven. I think Trent ran in, rang in around five foot nothing, if I remember right. Um... But the thing thing about our culture that we live in today, and really the culture that Paul lived in, is we don't have to try very hard to find something that contradicts the Bible or the way of Christ, do we? Like we don't have to look very far to find something that's in direct contradiction to what God has said. And, and this letter of 2 Timothy, it really has this kind of cloud of urgency all throughout it. Have you noticed that? Because remember, Paul, he's in prison, and he had been in prison before and he had gotten out, and yet this time it's safe to say that Paul's like, I'm not getting out of this situation. My time is coming to an end. And at the beginning of the series, we said, Paul's like very concerned with the right doctrine, the sound teaching, the right message of the gospel moving forward. And Timothy, I need to count on you. If I leave this place and gain heaven, I'm not scared to die. I'm gonna gain heaven, but I need to know that you're gonna fan into flame your ability to carry the right message forward. And there was a lot threatening that mission at this time. The culture and the persecution from the world posed a great threat to Paul and Timothy's mission and the culture and the post-true society that we live in poses the same threat to us on the mission of making disciples. But, but hear this, what about when the threat is not so obvious? Like it's obvious to look at what's happening in the world outside of the church and to know that that's just definitely not the way of Christ. But what happens when the threat is not so obvious? What happens when the threat to the mission of making disciples finds its way in and among the sheep, in and among the local church, in and among the disciples themselves? See, Paul, he was massively concerned with Timothy's boldness to preach the word in the midst of the persecution of the world. But Paul was just as urgent about Timothy guarding the deposit of the right gospel and the sound teaching within the local church. So let's zoom out for just a moment. So we're halfway through this book of 2 Timothy. It's very important to read scripture in the right context. And and as I set the context today, it's gonna be a little bit of information kind of figuring out what Paul's writing to, but just zoom out for a moment. Chapters one and two are simply Paul trying to help young Timothy not have a spirit of fear in a world that hates Christians. So chapter one and the first half of chapter two are motivation for all of us as believers to be like the farmer, like the athlete, like the soldier, and to live for something so much bigger than ourselves, to be ready to endure and to sacrifice for the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the face of opposition, okay? But then in chapter two, verse 14, Paul begins to address another serious threat to the ministry that Timothy was on in the message of Christ, not only... Where there always be opposition and persecution from the world, but there will be false teachers, fake Christians, false detrimental teaching within the local church, among the people of God. Pastor Trent talked about this irreverent babble that spreads like gangrene to ruin the hearer. He talked about that last week. And not only that, but it can easily suck us into its trap. And before we know it, we're living out principles and characteristics that don't resemble Christ at all. And as Paul wraps up chapter two, he leaves a little bit of hope like he always does that some of these false teachers, some of these people that have been led astray, that they would repent and turn from their sin, that they would flee youthful passions and put quarrels behind them and that they would pursue righteousness. But as we get into chapter three, we can see That while we have all that we need to pursue righteousness and stand on truth alone, things will get worse before they ever get better. In fact, this side of Christ's return promises to be filled with deception, with hardship, and with difficulty. Opposition within and among God's people will always be prevalent. And the issue of false fake Christianity will be with us until Christ returns. So we're going to spend some time in chapter 3 verses 1 through 9 over the next couple weeks. We're not going to rush through it because there's so much here to challenge our sinful tendencies as humans. We not only want to flee this evil, but we want to be on guard against it from masked false teaching that would ever lead us down the path of sin. So with all of that in mind, With that framework in mind this morning, let's get our eyes on a copy of God's word together. And we're gonna read chapter three, verses one through five. Okay, chapter three, verses one through five, everyone looking at God's word. Now hear the word of the Lord. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Today we're only gonna look at verse one and a little bit of verse two. You're like, oh, we're gonna spend all this time talking about one and a half verses. Look, we're students of the Bible and there is so much packed into verse one and a little bit of verse two that we could saturate ourselves in it all week long. And we'll take some time through this section of scripture. But the main idea today, the main idea that we're going after is this, avoid false teachers and misdirected worship until Christ returns. That's the main idea of this passage in 2 Timothy. Avoid false teachers and misdirected worship until Christ returns. In order to properly look at this section of Scripture, we have to view it through the last three words of verse 5, as Paul writes. Where he says, avoid such people. That doesn't sound very Christian-like, does it? Avoid such people? I thought I was supposed to soldier up. I thought I was supposed to fan my flame and be unashamed of my testimony. And now Paul's telling me to avoid people who love money and are arrogant and abusive and disobedient to their parents. That seems like a contradiction. No, listen, Paul's telling you to avoid people who claim to follow Jesus, but in reality, their hearts are far from him. Their message is void of Christ's power and their agenda is more important to them than your soul. There's a distinct difference between someone acting the ways described in this passage who don't know Jesus or don't follow Jesus and someone who uses the name of Jesus for their own gain and your destruction. These are wolves in sheep's clothing that Paul's talking to. And if we're not careful to guard the good deposit and only follow sound teaching measured by the standard of truth in the Bible, we too could be led astray. And it's not going to get easier It's going to get harder. Let's look in verse 1 as Paul starts to write. Paul says to Timothy, but understand this. So he already is kind of shifting in his tone. While Paul believes in the gospel, while Paul believes that many can flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, he's like, understand this, Timothy. As if to say, don't let your guard down. Don't lose your discernment. The issue of false, fake Christianity who seeks to destroy and detract from the truth is not going away. Verse one, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Paul's like, it's difficult now. It's gonna stay difficult and it's gonna keep getting more difficult. It's prophetic in nature as Paul writes. He's speaking about his current situation, but he's also speaking about our current situation situation. Let's talk about some of these phrases in verse one, the last days. Okay. So we see those words, the last days. If I had a dollar for every person who said to me, man, Micah, do you think we're in the end times? Like, do you think we're in the last days because of coronavirus or because of the recent election and the government situations and the racial injustices in the world? Like people are like seeing the difficulties turn up in our country. And they're like, you think we're in the end times now? Like, are we in the last days? I'd be doing all right if I had a dollar for every time someone's asked me that. And uh, the, it, it's probably it's funny that whenever things get hard, we assume Jesus is coming back in America. That's probably a different message altogether. But, but Timothy, he was probably getting the same question. And my answer would be the same as Timothy's. yes. We're for sure in the last days. Christ is risen. He is on his throne and the world is broken and we await his second coming with vigilance. Our lamp stands burning saying every day, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen. And so it, it's easy for us uh, to, to think about Christ's return um, it's easy to assume that the last days refers to a subjective amount of time, a few months, years, decades before the end of the world. That's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about the last days. Consider Hebrews 1 verse 1, it's on the screen. It says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's talking about the Old Testament, God speaking through the prophets. But in these last days, there's our phrase, He has spoken to us by his son. Consider Acts 2, 14 through 17, another verse. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, Since it is only the third hour of the day, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So when the authors of scripture use this phrase, the last days, they are referring to the time marked by Christ's first coming until he will come again. You understand that? Acts 2 shows us that the last days started at Pentecost. When God gave his followers his spirit to lead them and guide them in the midst of the difficulties of this world as we await Christ's second return. So we have been and we are in and we will be in the last days until Christ returns. And that could happen at any hour, any day, any time because I think we would all agree that we're living in some difficult times. It says times of difficulty. This isn't referring to specific time on a clock that's how we like to think about christ's return like at this time when this thing turns up god's going to come back that's not so because it's difficult because things are happening jesus is on his throne he's going to come return no difficult things have been happening and they'll continue to happen and they'll keep happening because we have been in the last days and the days are evil and the world is broken and ultimately god's truth and the sound teaching of god's word is being ignored twisted, and abused. The word difficulty is really like, it doesn't hold a lot of weight for us. Oh, that was difficult. Um, Other versions say perilous times. And uh, the word in the Greek for that word difficulty is the same word that describes the demon possessed men in the gospels. Okay, so you got these out of control, perilous times, menacing times. That's what Paul's talking about. And you can look elsewhere in the world. Sometimes we don't always feel it in America. And that's why I think when things do become more noticeable and the difficulties become more noticeable, we're like kind of aware, like, is Jesus coming back? But the truth is it's been difficult. It's been perilous for a long time. And it's going to keep coming in waves of difficulty, waves of difficulty ultimately Because people are twisting and abusing the word of God. Why are there difficult times? Look at verse two. For people. He could have stopped there. It's difficult just because there's people on this planet. Where there's people, it's difficult. But he says people will be lovers of self. Why are there difficult times in the present last days? Because people will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. Christ, because people who love themselves find their way into the local church to peddle their own message, to teach their own interpretation of truth, and to subtly and strategically dismantle the foundations of faith found in the Bible. Very much alive in our culture today. So, we're unpacking a lot of context of Paul's day, very relevant to our day. We've talked a lot about these false teachers, these fake Christians within and among the people of God, but how do we identify them? Can you identify them? Uh, The text says that they're lovers of self to start, but I kind of pulled together some, some, uh, you know, playful uh, names, if you will, of some uh, false teachers in our day, okay? I tapped my favorite artist, Miss Maggie Ward, to draw up some some caricatures, some cartoons, if you will, of of some of these false teachers that maybe are in our culture today. All right. So just bear with me. Let's let's just spend a moment. Everyone come up for a big breath and let's spend a moment making fun of false teachers. It'll be fun. Uh, This is uh, Henry the Heretic. All right. Henry the Heretic. He's a good looking guy. He's a sharp dressed dude. Looks like a guy that I would hang out with. But Henry the heretic is a natural leader who teaches just enough truth to mask his deadly error. He teaches what blatantly contradicts an essential teaching of the Christian faith. There are people like that out there. People that you're like, that dude is worth following. He's sharp dressed, he speaks really well. He's someone I could get behind. I would run through a brick wall for that dude, but he has an agenda and it's not a good agenda. See, Gospel City Church, we have a doctrinal statement and the things in that doctrinal statement are things, hills that we wanna die on. Like Jesus is God, that God raised him from the dead, that Jesus is Lord, that scripture is inerrant. And yet there's people out there that want you to follow them and they have an agenda to lead you to destruction. Consider this verse, Second Peter 2, 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, talking about us, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. There are leaders out there disguised as pastors, as church leaders, and yet they even deny the one who bought them, the one who saved them, the one who can save their soul. Avoid people like Henry the heretic. But you got to have a sound doctrine in your soul to be able to recognize it. Here's someone else. Let me introduce you to Charlatan Charles. Charlatan Charles wants to be your friend. And if you've got a hard life, you're not doing it right. You can have the bestest, blessedest life here on earth for a small seed donation. I'm getting ahead of my, I'm getting carried away. <laughs> getting carried away. But Charlatan Charles, he uses Christianity for personal enrichment. He uses godliness as a means of personal gain. He's interested in the Christian faith to the extent that it can fill his wallet as he peddles the prosperity Gospel. Y'all, this is alive in our culture today too. You want to have a blessed life? You, You don't have to suffer. You can have all that you want. And if you don't, if you're suffering, if you're going through hard things, then you're just not having enough faith. That couldn't be further from the truth. That couldn't be further from what God's Word says. God's Word says that trials and tribulations will come in this life, that we should deny our flesh and pick up our cross and follow Jesus. We gotta be on guard for people like Charlatan Charles. Here's another one. This is Prophetess Peggy, Prophetess Peggy. She's bold. She has no problem speaking into your life. No problem telling you what your future's gonna look like, who you're gonna be, what you're gonna do for the Lord here. She claims to speak fresh revelation from God outside of Scripture, outside of Scripture. She brings new authoritative words of prediction, teaching or rebuke outside of what the Bible has said. There's people out there who build their ministries, disguising it as encouragement, and yet they're speaking things into your life that couldn't be further from the truth. The Bible doesn't need added to. The Bible doesn't need taken from. It has all that we need for life and for godliness. And yet there's people, this is how whole cults are built. People claiming to have fresh revelation from the Lord. Consider Revelation 22. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, talking about the Bible. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. People are being led astray by this kind of ministry, by this kind of leader, claiming to have fresh fresh revelation. And in reality, they're losing their share of the tree of life. It says that the plagues of scripture, would be brought upon people who add to the book of God, the Bible. Here's another one. This is Easy Ears Edward. He's a cool looking guy. Kind of reminds me of Josh Spear. But Josh Spear would never preach a weak sauce gospel like Easy Ears Edward. He cares nothing about what God wants and everything about what man wants. He's unwilling to deal with the hard parts of scripture or the condemning issues of sin because it discourages and certainly couldn't fill the pews. He gives people what they want to hear. This is so relevant in our culture today. It's so easy, right, to just pick like, A few good principles from the Bible. We want the principles of the Bible, but we don't want the whole counsel of God's Word. We want the principle, the Christian ethics of the Bible, but we don't want the convictions of God's Word. Paul's very concerned with the sound teaching, the whole counsel of God's Word going forward and being guarded against teachers like Easy Ears Edward, who doesn't want to deal with all of Scripture and just picks out a few things 2 Timothy 4, we'll look at this in a couple weeks in this letter. But it says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. As time goes on, the difficult times, people will stop enduring sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from truth and wander off into myths. As the days get more and more difficult because more and more people twist what God's word says and open the Bible but leave out the hard things, the convicting things, the things that deal with sin and righteousness, more people will stop enduring the teaching of God's word and will cling to what tickles their ears, what leads them to get what they want rather than what Christ wants. One more. This is speculating Spencer. Speculating Spencer. Here's some characteristics of him. He's obsessed with originality and speculation. He approaches the Bible from his personal perspective, telling the hearer what he thinks the passage means for him and ultimately for you. He appears well-read and intellectual in nature, but ultimately brings no clarity to the actual meaning of the text. Have you been around these people? I've been around some of these people. I've sat at the table with some of these people. And uh, it's like, they're so smart. And sometimes I'm envious of how much they read and how smart they are and how much they can talk. And yet after hours of talking, it just seems like the gospel has zero clarity. And some of the questions about sin that get asked at some of these tables, I'm like, how can you be so smart and not know what the Bible says? And, and, and the reason is we get stuck so easy in trying to, pl- to apply our situation to the Bible rather than allow the Bible to cover all of the situations, all of the hardships, all of the questions that we face in this life. And now listen, I'm having a lot of fun with this and uh, it kind of brings some levity to it, but... Can you identify false teachers? These folks were all over the TV, all over the radio, probably still are. But you know where they're at now? In your TikTok feed, in your Instagram feed, in your social media feed. You can scroll all day long and you can hear soundbite after soundbite after soundbite from pastor after pastor after leader after leader. And you can feel really good about your faith, man. I, I like went to church today. I, I listened to so many sound bites from all these different pastors, but you know what? You never, you forgot to do. You forgot to pick up your Bible, and you forgot to search the Scriptures, and you forgot to test every word that comes out of a man's mouth with the words that God has said. You see how easy and deceptive false teaching can be. Do you have a deep enough doctrine to recognize teaching and theology and philosophy that is contrary to God's word and will ultimately lead you to destruction? This is why it's so important as disciples of Jesus to deposit God's truth deep into our souls and to believe the Bible and to guard the deposit with our lives. So important. And the common denominator between all of the examples that we looked at is really just misdirected worship. The reason for the difficulties in these last days is really a result of misdirected worship. Any false teacher, anyone who's been led astray, the problem is misdirected worship. The problem is loving themselves rather than loving Christ. The problem is living for their own desires rather than living the way the Bible tells us to live. And that's confusing, right? That's so alive in our culture. One person says, I'm a Christian. Another person says, I'm a Christian too. And one person's life says, seems to look a lot like the Bible and what the Bible describes as a Christian. The other person's life looks a lot more like the world in some of the things that they're into, And that starts to get confusing. They can kind of talk about the gospel the same way. They can kind of talk about the message of Christ the same way and say the important things, but their lives look totally different. And to an unbeliever, that's confusing. To a less established believer, that's confusing. And when they start asking questions, like serious questions, it gets two different answers. So I, I I wanna follow Jesus, but can I like... Do whatever I want. Can I get drunk on the weekends? Can I live with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Can I sleep around with whoever I want? Can I have no integrity in my workplace? Can I gossip and slander and cuss? Can I take no responsibility for my actions? One person's gonna say, hey, let me talk to you about that. Like, God loves you. And He cares about those questions. And, you know, before He ever deals with you and your behaviors, He wants to deal with your heart. And let us let me show you what the Bible says. And the Bible addresses all of the passions of our flesh and all of the things that we would have, all of the questions that we would bring to the table. But God gave His Son to die in your place because you could never do what's right. And you could never earn His grace by being a good person or a bad person. But once you get Jesus and once He radically transforms your soul, man, He'll change transform your behavior and he'll start giving you a passion and a desire to live out the principles of God's word he'll put his spirit in you and cause you to walk in his ways and be careful to obey the bible that's the kind of Christian I need in my corner but there's Christian there's people who claim to be Christians out there who would hear those questions I say, man, you don't got to worry about what the Bible says. That's, that's, there's some good principles in there. It's a historic book. We set that over here. But like, let's talk about those passions that are inside of you, those things. Those are natural tendencies. Like, like let's, let's help you. Let's help, help yourself. And maybe you could even build a platform on the things that are naturally inside of you. You see how deceptive that can be. False teachers and misdirected worship will always prey on the natural tendency of every human being to love themselves rather than Christ. To help themselves rather than die to themselves. To follow their truth rather than the Bible's truth. And we gotta be on guard. False teachers produce false Christians who worship false gods. There was an article this week passed to me. Um, it was in the Religion News Service. The title of the article was this. First drag queen certified as a candidate for United Methodist Ministry speaking in a new way to new people. Article went on. It said, Isaac Simmons is the first openly gay man to be certified within the Illinois Great Rivers Conference, and as far as anyone can tell, the first drag queen certified in the United Methodist Church. Hope Church celebrated Drag Sunday on Sunday, April 11th, with a message by Isaac dressed in drag under his name, Miss Pentecost. It is our way of celebrating and uplifting the voices of drag artistry within the church, Miss Pentecost said during the service. When asked how it felt to be the first certified drag candidate, he replied, it is mind-boggling simply because it's 2021 and I'm the first. I agree with him. But also it's incredibly humbling. He told Religion News Service, as the denomination is processing his candidacy, the question was posed, how many churches in their district or conference would be comfortable with a minister who is a drag queen? Would the people in the pews say his faith and works honor God and align with the Wesleyan tradition? To which one woman replied, in my book, he's a rock star for being bold enough to open himself to the criticism that he is experiencing now. The intersections of his faith, his queerness, and his performances as a drag queen may be questioned by some, yet he brings his full self to his ministry which is exactly what we expect from our pastors. I don't read that to make fun of this young guy. And I don't read that to bash this church. Although if that's the message that's being given, they're not a church. I'm not shocked by this in the least bit. Isaac and myself are no different. We are sexually broken men who naturally want what we want rather than what God wants. And the only difference for us right now is that someone in my life came alongside me at some point and said, hey, brother, let's talk about the passions that are inside of you. Let's talk about the things that you naturally want to do and, and can... I share with you what Jesus has done for you and can I show you what the Bible says and can I show you that if you die to yourself and if you pick up your cross and if you leave your earthly passions behind and follow Christ, he can give you the strength to walk in his ways and be careful to obey what he said. I'm so thankful for people in my life. But Isaac, you know, shame on that woman that says this is what we expect from our pastors. That's why it's so abusive. That's why we have to avoid such people because it preys on the instincts and, and sexual brokenness right now in our culture. You better believe that's going to be a way to the breaking down of the church, the breaking down of the family. You better believe that that's going to be something that false teachers and false leaders prey upon in young people. But somebody saw Isaac and said, hey, those, those are natural God-given passions inside of you. And, and we can help you be the best person you can be with how you feel. And maybe we can even create a platform out of it for the kingdom of God. I read that article to show you how deceptive false teaching is. Isaac is a result of leaders bending on the inerrancy of scripture. Teachers using a few biblical principles that make for a so-called better life here on earth, but throwing out the entirety of biblical conviction. Leaders leading young people to love themselves, rather than to come to Jesus with their brokenness and pain and questions and find real and lasting healing and grace. This is why countries that used to be Christian nations are now Muslim nations, to even find a Christian is unusual because the inerrancy of scripture and the bending of biblical conviction has slowly whittled away at their culture, at their faith and left them with no one. And the more the church in America bends on biblical conviction and ignores the infallible truths of God's word, the more we will see the difficulties that Paul speaks of in these last days. 1 Corinthians 1 says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The way of the cross, pick up your cross and follow Jesus, that's like crazy to the world. But for you who have been regenerated, you who have been saved, the thought of dying to myself and laying down my passions and picking up my cross and not being ashamed of the suffering like Paul talks about and being unashamed of my testimony and boldly walking in the way of Jesus in the midst of the persecution of this world. That has great hope and great grace and great life to those who have been saved. We don't have time to dig into all the characteristics in the rest of verse two, And I think that's okay. The next several weeks as Pastor Trent picks up 2 Timothy 3, that'll be a great place to stop. But the manifestations of those who claim to follow Christ, but actually love themselves, they're as follows. Let me read them one more time. They're lovers of money. They're proud. They're arrogant. They're abusive. They're disobedient to their parents. That's not just like, I disobeyed one time. That's the breaking down of the family, the nuclear family. And if Satan can get into the family structure, he can get into our churches. Ungrateful, unholy. God is holy. God is set apart. God is other. And guess what? The Bible calls us to be holy as God is holy. Not like the world. Heartless, unappeasable, Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, and the list goes on and on and on. But Paul writes to Timothy, remember Timothy, Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And he says to us today, remember Gospel City, if you can remember the power of the gospel, you can remain in the gospel. And what is this gospel? What is this glorious truth? It reminds us that God is holy, that he's other, that there's none like him in all the earth and he's worthy of worship. But man is sinful and broken and loves themselves rather than Christ. But Jesus is the perfect spotless Lamb of God, the Savior of the world who died on a cross in your place for your sins and He rose again from the grave and He's seated on high and He's made it possible for you to respond to His great grace, to die to yourself, to leave your earthly passions at His feet and to pick up His cross and to follow Him He's made it possible for you to not love the things of this world, but to love Christ and follow Christ, which ultimately leads to eternal life. The way of the world will always seem easy, but it will always lead to death. The way of Christ seems hard, feels like sacrifice, but it will always lead to eternal life in Christ Jesus. Come on, stand to your feet, bow your heads for a moment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, I'm not naive to the thought that when you talk about heavy things, you talk about things that are going on in our culture that um, we're all sinners and we all struggle. And there's probably a lot of struggling questions, questions, and hurt and pain, and things that we've brought even into this space on our shoulders. And I just want you to know that you are loved, and that the pastors and the elders of this church care about you. We want you to feel like you can come and ask us anything, tell us anything. And we want to walk with you, and we want to open the Bible with you, we want to pray with you we wanna help you understand first what Christ has done for you so that you could be saved. But we want you also to know what the Bible says so that you can live for Christ rather than the way that this world wants you to live and throw it away. We've gotta build our lives upon this foundation that is only in Jesus Christ. And He's given us all that we need for life and for godliness in His Word, and so that's where we fix our hearts and our attention. Let's pray together. Father God, we give you glory and honor and power and praise in this place for all that you've done. We believe that you are perfect, that you are spotless, that you've never sinned, that you were tempted and tried as we are, but you were without sin, and you went upon the cross in your perfection, in your grace. In your love, and you died a death that you didn't deserve, so that you could save people who are far from you, people who were want, once your enemies. So, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. God, I pray for them that in this world that seeks to lead us astray, this world that tells us we should be unash- that we should be ashamed of what Christ has done, or that we should ignore the truth of God's word. Lord, I pray that we would stand firm and bold and passionate upon the foundation that is the word of God. And Lord, that you would use us to tell others about Jesus, that you would use us to move the mission of multiplication, the mission of making disciples forward in a world that desperately wants to stop it. And even if it gets harder, Lord, would you help us to stay planted and founded in Jesus Christ. God, we worship you. We magnify you. For you are worthy, worthy, worthy. In your mighty name we pray.